This is an IPA studio production. Title 35 of the United States Code, Section 103, mandates that a patent not be given when the differences between the subject matter sought to be patented and the prior art are such that the subject matter as a whole would have been obvious at the time of the invention was made to a person having ordinary skill in the art. Howdy, I'm your host Preston Morgan and you're listening to Skilled in the Art. Skilled in the Art is brought to you by Intellectual Property Aggies, a student group at Texas A&M University School of Law filled with students aspiring to be IP attorneys. This episode is part of our Business Casual series. We talk to IP professors and practitioners and hear their stories, what shaped them, who inspired them, and what advice they have for you and me. As a student, you can never be too sure what to call your professors or attorneys that you know. Obviously, you should call them Professor, Mr. or Mrs. and fill in the last name. Or you could ask. So I did. You know, when I first started uh, teaching, mm-hmm. I always was worried that people would think, oh my God, what is she going to know? She really looks young, right? And now, I'm at a time when I come into class, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to see all my gray hair and think <laughs> I'm too old. And, you know. <laughs> I don't know how many professors go through it, but so as I age more, I think I'm just much, much more comfortable when people call Shri or Professor Shri. Professor Shri. Yeah. And I I don't like the Professor Raghavan a lot of times or any Raghavan. I mean, that's how the U.S. system is, right? I mean, last name. Yeah. It just doesn't do enough justice to your first name. I mean, (laughs) to who you are. Who I am is really Shri, right? It's not Raghavan. You know what I'm saying? Right. (laughs) So, you know, so yes, so, you know, if people want to say professor, professor Shri or Shri, mm-hmm. you know. Good so. now, good now. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I wanted to get into your to your background a little bit and start off, you know, talking about, you know, where where'd you grew up. Uh, you know, my... I've, I've been asked this question before, okay, and my <laughs> husband has an answer for it. She never really did not grow up. Look at her, right? She's four <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> but I was uh, raised in India. Mm-hmm. I was born in this little town called Gopi Chetty Palium. Wow. Uh, yeah, you don't even see it in the map, but I absolutely love this place. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's charming. A lot of people from there, you know, have done well in their lives, and mm-hmm. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, and then we moved to another, uh, you know, more like uh, a mid, mid-sized town called mm-hmm. Coimbatore, also in the south of India. Uh, and then I did my law in Bangalore and, oh, wow. uh, yes, and, you know, and then from there to England to, I don't know how, but just to the U.S. and, uh, you know. <laughs> just, just making your way around the world. I know. Uh, it just kind of works that way. <laughs> I never really did not want to want to live anywhere else but in India. But it, it's, it says really, I mean, it, it sounds really untrue to say it now, but, uh, you know, but here I am and, you know, living here. Yeah. So, so you think you might go back one day? I definitely think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I would love to go back. Yeah. yeah. And teach? 
and teach mm -hmm. uh, and do some social work if I can, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and just have a lot of time there, you know, just talking, doing things that are Indian, shopping, you know, um, cooking. Oh, yeah, yeah, cook. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those kind of things, yeah. you know, uh, gossip, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, just one, one day, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah, but not to Gobi Chetty Palim, definitely, but to Bangalore, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you said, uh, you, you know, doing social work, is that, uh, is that something that's played a big part in your life? It always has been. I come from a family that's always been socially very, very conscious and very, very involved. And uh, India's changed a lot from the time I was born. Uh, but but my uh, grandfather was uh, a politician. Uh, he fought in the freedom movement. And at that time, the caste system was much more prevalent in India. And mm. uh, he ran this hostel, uh, sort of, it's like a daycare center, really, for uh, for uh, children of then perceived lower caste people, so they could get educated, and you oh, know, wow. yeah, and so the moms would leave them there, and it's mm -hmm. still there. It's wow. still being run in Gobi Chetipalam, and uh, you know, and of course, much of that distinction is gone now, and many people from that hostel have graduated. About three or four have become bureaucrats, uh, yeah. yeah, and they've done very well in their lives. So we're very proud of you know that social aspect, yeah. uh, all of us in my family, and. I would like to do something. Uh, I don't know what. I mean, yeah. you know, but definitely uh, for the poor at some point. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it's much more fulfilling. Yeah. You know, uh, I I try to take my um, kids there, and I try to uh, show them how entitled. Uh, you know, they are just because they're born in a certain way in a different country, and you know, and mm. it, you know, uh, and they don't even appreciate it. You know, sometimes, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, right. so, oh. you, you so, buy so them they were toys. Born, they were born here. One was born here. One was born back in India. Okay. Uh, and so I don't want them to feel entitled, but they, I want them to know that because of that, they they have, you know, certain things that you know many kids. Uh, may not have and you can see it in so many different ways right so when mm -hmm. we go uh, to Bangalore right the system there is you always have maids housemaids who help you right and mm -hmm. they're still called servants like in the British sense but you always have them come in and they'll help you with different things and I invite their kids and then my kids talk to them and you'll see that they have equal or better language skills sometimes equal or better math you know, knowledge and ability to process information. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know that they're just not going to do as well as, uh, you know, my kid, and that has nothing to do with brains, you know. It's not that I, I have a dumb child, I'm not <laughs> saying that, but, you know, they're also about average kids right. who, you know, in some ways uh, cannot get the same sort of um, education or whatever it is, you know. And, uh, so I want people to know that to appreciate, you know, because a lot of times, especially uh, I see in the U.S., there's a lot of exceptionalism. Oh, I'm American, so I'm used to it. I'm American. I know it. No, you don't. I mean, you, you may have a few more things, you know. Right. Uh, so, and I see that in sports, too. My, my, one of my children, uh, she plays tennis. Mm -hmm. And you'd see like a marker. A marker is just somebody who picks, you know, they, they clean the court and pick the balls mm -hmm. and things like yeah. that. And. Mm -hmm. You know, and in a place like India, you'd see them playing without shoes. 
without proper training and sometimes they play really really well and then i'll ask them at the end of every uh, match show the blisters and they always have at least two or three blisters and they don't care they live with it every day i mean blisters are like the smallest things in their lives they you mm. know and so you know it's a different world and i think it's important for people to get exposed to that world and to know in some ways that what we do we can affect them positively in our yeah. lives yeah. yeah so so i wanted to talk about uh in the so in the next episode we're going to talk about uh your your specialty which is biotech and, mm. and pharmaceuticals uh so so tune in next week but uh i want to talk a little bit how you how you got into it because from what I understand, that wasn't really your, your specialty at first, right? It wasn't. Uh, but, you know, um, we did law school. National law school still has a five-year law degree, mm -hmm. right? So for those of you who think three years is very less, well, you know, you should come and see in India. We do five years of law school. And then you're expected to write like something like it used to be 60 papers, but now it's become like 50 something. Uh, people are like, oh, it's soft. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> all <solved> the problem. <laughs> so, um, and so there are opportunities to do a lot of clinics, like women and the law clinic, mm -hmm. and you know, several different types of clinics. And when I was a student in law school, was when the World Trade Organization's negotiations were going on, the Uruguay Round negotiations, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, right? And that's the time when the Dunkel draft, that was the very first draft, and uh, uh, Dunkel was the Swiss diplomat, and he was, uh, you know, the, the initial draft that he put forth was called the Dunkel draft. And, okay. Uh, when that was put forth, there, you know, th there was um, rallies against it in India, protests, and uh, much was written about it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and as law students, we contributed, we talked about it, we discussed about it. Yeah. And that got me interested into the the whole idea of trade, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And from trade, only two things, ultimately, you know, I found interest in things that affected real life. A lot of things affect real life, but pharmaceuticals and agriculture mm -hmm. are the two things that actually can impact poor people, yeah. uh, both positively and negatively, right? And so uh, these are the two areas where if you don't tread carefully, you actually tread over people you don't even know that you're treading over, right? I mean, right. you're affecting millions of people without even realizing that they are being affected because of an ill-thought-of policy by someone who's never seen uh, real poverty. And, and not that everyone else has, but I'm just saying they probably don't even know what it is, right? And so that's how I got interested in this. Mm. And then from that time, I, and you know, and then I was working with a law firm and right. yeah. a corporate sector, but it, mm -hmm. it's always, it always has had some sort of, um, I want to say implication or some sort of connection with these two areas. Yeah. And I started doing research. So, so you worked at a at a big law firm in India, right? In India. So, is is that any different than big law firms here? Yes, I think the size is very, very different. A big law yeah. firm there, especially at that time, is at the very maximum you'd have, uh, you know, twenty partners. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So it's very different size wise. Okay. Um, and uh, what else? Um, in terms of work. Uh, I think it's much more slave-driven there. Really? Yeah, and I think it's pretty much, it, it is slave-driven here too, but mm -hmm. I think it's much more there. There's just no, because also, many of these big law firms have American clients. 
mm-hmm. right? So you end up working for your client's time. Mm-hmm. So it's very common to say, well, I'm scheduling a meeting at 2 p.m. or uh, 2 a.m. or, you oh, know. Wow. Yeah, so it's not uncommon, especially when you're a fresh associate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so that's another big uh, thing. And then the, you know, the timesheets and things like that are different, right? Really? Very different in the sense that uh, I think that those are things students here get trained a little bit earlier on. Mm-hmm. Like billable hours. Uh, yeah, billable like hours right. and things like that. And, you know, uh, how you build that into your client's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there they wait a little bit more until they become confident. And then, you know, so it's a little it's a small differences, but definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so at what point did you know you wanted to be a professor? You know, not until I actually became one. Really? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I very, very hesitantly went into the academy, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, so, in fact, in, in, in amongst my batchmates, I'm known as one of the few people who, uh, you know, gave up some of the best jobs, most coveted jobs uh, for nothing. I mean, I just one fine morning, oh, I'm done with this and get out, you know. So I worked in a law firm. I worked in one of the biggest corporate houses, Wipro. I worked with the Tatas, the Tatas who are making news now. If you see the BBC, they're making news, um, right? They're, they're getting rid of their chairman, Mr. Mystery. So mm. uh, making huge news. I used to work with Tatas and with one of their biggest companies and doing IP work there as well. Uh, and then for, a sh- and I think this is what made a big difference for a short period of time, I was a sports agent for, uh, really? a, a, yeah, I was, <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny. I mean, all the sports people and then there's three, like half their size. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but it was really funny for one of the biggest cricketers. He still is one of the biggest cricketers, Sachin Tendulkar, his agent. Uh, uh, hired me as um, you know their legal executive. Wow! I absolutely loved it and hated yeah. it. Right? I <laughs> loved it because you know I mean the, there are access to things that uh, today I you know now that I'm much older mm-hmm. and wiser, you know what I'm saying? I I'm like oh my god! I mean look at the publicity I could have gotten, right? <laughs> but. Uh, I liked it because, I, yeah. I, you know, I spoke with all these big cricketers and I could tell them contract terms and, uh, uh, you know, negotiate these things mm-hmm, and all that. Mm-hmm. But I also hated the fact that, you know, I go for five years of law school and somebody who hits a good sixer calls <laughs> me and I'm like, oh, you know, and then you have to be nice to them. You know what I'm saying? I just mm-hmm. felt, oh, come on, you know, okay, you play well, but, you know, so... It's now that my daughter plays tennis, I have a very different worldview of sports, mm. but, you know, but I absolutely loved it, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. But after some time, I thought, you know what, I've, I'm, I'm taking a break from all of this. Um, and then uh, the dean at my alma mater called me uh, and said, well, we're looking for someone to set up the Intellectual Property Center at National Law School. And we think you, you'd be the best uh, person to do that only because I've done IP work in so many different places and you know and so uh, he invited me and when I first went I was just uh, you know paid you know you they just take out the last zero from your pay 
That's how you go into the academy. You know, it doesn't matter which country, right? You just they just slash the last zero out of the pay. And I thought, this is unbelievable, right? From a sports agent. And I didn't know why I agreed. I just thought this would be a top gap thing, mm-hmm. right? And I told myself I'm I'm doing this so I can feel better when I go back and I'm never gonna come back to the academy. And then I, you know, when I first went in and students would ask questions and I oh, you know, and then about six months later, I thought, I am liking it, you know, <laughs> and I had to begrudgingly agree that I was liking it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never really turned back, I don't think. Really? And I have had opportunities to go back both to the corporate world as well as to law firms, but not for a million dollars or more than now. Now, I mean, there's something there's something to the academy that's very, very uh, you know, there's freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of expression, yeah. and it's, you're not some high-paid slave to some corporate guy who wants to violate SEBI rules, you know? Yeah. SEBI is the Securities Exchange Board rules, and I'm talking about India here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, you're like, no, that's a violation. You don't have to pay me because the university pays me, and I'm going to say it because I love saying that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, and that suits my personality. It's not for everyone, you know, it's yeah. really... Um, what you are ultimately, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but, but when I was called to the National Law School, I mean, when, when my dean asked me at that time, he said, you will actually like this, trust me. And I never trusted him, but I, when I go back now, I tell him how much I like it and so, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when did you come to Oklahoma? Was that before? Before you went to London? Or no, no, after. After you went After. There. So I joined the National Law School. I was teaching yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I, there was a visiting uh, scholar, sort of an opportunity mm-hmm. uh, in University of Washington at Seattle. Okay. Right. And then I decided to, you know, the National Law School sponsored me because I was doing a program on uh, IP for them. So they sponsored me for three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I worked with Professor Takanaka. Uh, she still teaches at UW, and she's wonderful. And mm-hmm. uh, worked with her for some time, and then met my supervisor at GW at a conference, which they still host. It's called Castrop, mm-hmm. uh, and then decided to do my SJD. Uh, and what is that? SJD is the is the PhD in law, the okay. equivalent of PhD in law. So, so you're a doctor. Doctor, so you're doc- so you're yes, doctor, yes, 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 okay. doctor. I, I, I can't ho- open a hospital, but <laughs> if they sue me, <laughs> maybe I'll have some skills there to defend myself. <laughs> so yes, doctor. Okay, um, okay. So anyway, so I did the SJD, mm-hmm. and here I am. So, so is that? Uh, I've never heard of the SJD. So is that above LLM? It is above okay. LLM. So you already had your LLM, and then yes. you were like, I want to do some more school. Yes, I went back after my LLM. Uh, I so I finished uh, college and mm-hmm. got into an LLM program right after that after law school. Okay. So I went uh, to King's College, finished my LLM there. Yeah. Uh, I had a job offer, but I decided to go back to India because I I told myself I'm never living outside the country. Right? <laughs> Such is life again. <laughs> so I went back and then I worked there and mm-hmm. um, and when I came to Seattle, I know a couple of people say, "Oh, you're not going to come back." I said, "Absolutely not. I'm definitely coming back." Uh-huh. And <laughs> you know and. Um, um, and, and when I joined the SJD program, my SJD supervisor said, Shri, 
you are going to end up teaching here in this country. And I said, Marty, I know myself, <laughs> okay? If you know yourself, and, and I still meet Marty every now and then, and mm -hmm. when he's in, you know, when we're at a dinner table or something, he'd say, she's still going back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but I do think I will. It's just yeah, a question yeah. of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people can kind of relate to that, not as far as like moving to another country, but you know, moving out of the state of Texas, people, People love Texas, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, how do you? How was it to to make that decision to to leave your home and you know go somewhere else? That's it, that's tough for a lot of people. It is very difficult, yeah. and I don't think I ever made the decision to I live here permanently. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's something about the United States. Uh, it kind of I don't want to say it kind of forces you to but that's how the system works you know what I'm saying yeah. so when I first came I came for three months and then I had this opportunity to do the SJD and I thought well let me just go finish that up right <laughs> and then when I was doing my SJD I got hired in Oklahoma and many people said Shri I mean that's that's great that you got into Oklahoma it's a good school and you should give it a shot and I thought you know well, why I mean how how you know, I mean, I want to try U.S. Academy. Mm -hmm. And so I joined Oklahoma. And, uh, and initially, I would say a couple of years, I'd go. But once you're there, you're a tenure-track professor, you're not, I mean, nobody goes back in a couple of years. You, you know, you're there for the long haul. And then you want to get your tenure. And then mm -hmm. you get your tenure. And then, uh, you know, and then you think, well, should I go back? And I did think of, we, all of us did think of going back. And I did take my sabbatical in India and we thought about it. And then you think, well, you know what, maybe come back and think about it again. So <laughs> uh, so I don't think I've ever thought about permanently mm. going out. And I continue to do a lot of work uh, with India and about India, have a lot of ties and associations with India. Mm -hmm. So to me, I still think I have, I still look at, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think my India connections are different from other some of the other folks that tend to have India connections. People there also tend to think I'm I'm I I, I have a base there. Mm. Right? They yeah. really don't think of me as someone who's left the country because I go so often or you know, I stay there, I still speak the local language, my kids speak the local language. Yeah. Right? And I'm very comfortable with all the good things and the bad things there. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't affect me at all. Yeah. Um, so it's really that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do know that for other people, it's a very difficult decision, yeah. you know, because you're raised in a certain way and then you come here, you change, mm -hmm. you know, and you accommodate yourself very, very differently, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't get the opportunity to go back every now and then, I think it's very difficult. You really have to mentally be ready to to say, look, this is where I'm going to belong. Uh, and I don't know if you can ever belong the same way as someone who was born here. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm. it's a little bit different, yeah. um, you know, but that's how, that's how it goes. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Professor Sri is gonna tell us how to ace our classes. Until then, here's a message from Career Services. Howdy. At the Office of Career Services, we strive to provide tailored advice for each individual career path. Did you know that we have a checklist specifically designed with you in mind? Stop by our office and make an appointment. You can meet with one of our career counselors, and I guarantee you will leave with a more structured career plan for your job search, and if not, at least a hot cup of coffee. 
Professor Sri teaches a number of IP classes at Texas A&M. One of those classes is IP Survey. Here's what she had to say about it. So IP Survey is, um, I want to say it's the course that introduces you to all aspects of intellectual property law, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think even for students who know they want to specialize in a particular area, taking the survey is very helpful because then they know I'm going to take you know, say, for example, patent classes, patent law, patent prosecution, patent drafting, and so on and so forth. Um, But I also know enough about trademarks and copyrights and, you know, other areas, trade secrets and other areas of IP. So so that's why I think the survey gives you a full sort of a full picture of all of the different areas of intellectual property Mm -hmm. uh, laws. I uh, start with uh, the theory behind intellectual property a little bit, and then uh, trade secrets, and then we move on to talk about trademarks, copyright, and then patents. Okay. So not necessarily in that order. I, I sometimes I do copyright first and trademark uh, mm-hmm. next or patent first and so on. Yeah. Uh, so that's the survey. The survey is very interesting because it gives you a, uh, uh, it gives you different perspectives of one area of law. Like trademarks right. are so different from patents, for instance. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so it gives you different perspectives. It also gives you enough working knowledge to specialize, to know which area to specialize in, and then which other area you can actually use. So there is one bread and butter area of IP practice. It could be entertainment and copyright or mm-hmm. patents. And then you also do trademark, uh, you know, along with it, you know, where you, you file applications and maintain trademark applications and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. it helps you think about a larger practice mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Uh, so how do you how do you teach the classes? At, uh like case-based, problem-based? Sure. Uh, so usually I, I do case-based, mm-hmm. case, me- case method, case study method, I want to say. More Socratic. Okay. Uh, I assign pages like everybody else, and then uh, I take the first few minutes to highlight, uh, right, mm-hmm. what's in the uh, uh, book, and then uh, students ask questions. So it's more Socratic in that sense. Yeah. Uh, the one big distinguishing feature, I think, is the PowerPoint slides I use. Oh, right? yes. I absolutely oh, love yes. my slides, yes. I have taken her class, and I can attest to her uh, wonderful use of animations. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and uh, <laughs> right? And I, I've had students tell me, oh, I remember that slide now, you know. Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, uh, and, and they carry it with them. <laughs> you know, so so that's I think a very very mm-hmm. I find it a very effective yeah. way of communicating with students. Sure. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, one of the other things that we do. And then we I for the copyright segment we play music, yeah. right? So I also ask students to bring in their own music, which mm-hmm. they do sometimes. Uh, students have brought in artwork and you know things like that, and then we discuss about it. So typically I'll teach a segment. And then I let the class talk about a problem, either in the book or they'll find something and they'll get it. Okay. Sometimes students find, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. If they don't, then I'll assign a problem from the book. Yeah. And that's when I know uh, how much students have learned in yeah. that segment, right? I mean, yeah. typically there are segments where you know almost 80% of the students have something to say, right? And then. Uh, there, there'll be other segments where I think, oh, did it go well? And then there are two people who want to talk, and the others are like, I got nothing to say for you. <laughs> so then I kind of tend to recapitulate it, and mm-hmm. you know, so that's how it goes. So it kind of incorporates, you know, all the different 
aspects of IP. And so uh, should you, if you want to take uh, trademarks and mm-hmm. copyrights and patents, like as individual classes, mm-hmm. should you, should you take it, should you take IP survey before or after these kind of bigger? I would classes? think survey before. Okay. Right, um, because survey before will tell you whether you want to take all three, two of the three, mm-hmm. right, uh, and what you're looking for in each of those courses. Yeah. Right. So you may decide to take entertainment versus copyright, or copyright and entertainment instead of, uh, say, patents, or you know. So it allows you to choose appropriately, is what I think. Yeah. Right. Um, to go into the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, having like a, the patent section in there might scare some students off. <laughs> do you, do, uh, is it is it something that students should be concerned about if they don't have a science degree? It, no, they don't. I don't focus much on the science, mm-hmm. and knowing patents always helps, right? Uh, even students who do not want to practice in patent law, it helps them to know how it's different from the rest of the IP, right? right. At the very minimum, if you're going to be a copyright lawyer, you should be able to identify a patent law question and say, well, don't ask me that question, go to the lawyer next door who practices patent law, right? If you don't know the difference, you're going to be in trouble later, Mm -hmm. right? So I think from that perspective, yes. Um, And I also think patent law is not that daunting, especially the basic principles of patents can actually be fun. Right, and so I, uh, I think that students don't have to be concerned at all. They don't need science background. In fact, the IP survey is one of the courses where they absolutely do not need any. You know, for copyright, sometimes students have asked me, "Do I need arts background?" No. Nothing like that. You know, this is something that'll help you understand the different areas and see where you fit in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so how? Does a student get an A in your class? Uh, Okay. That's the big question. Yeah. I (laughs) want to say about 19 hours of reading the material every day. (laughs) 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 So... And that, of course, is going to be such a magnet for my class. I know that the entire law school is going to enroll now. No, pool. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually, I tell students the ability to understand the basics, right? Yeah. If you're, if you know, uh, if you understand what the basics are and know how to spot it, which in IP is very, very easy and very, very interesting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you listen to a song, um, you know, and then you listen to the, uh, you you see the, you know, the the graphics in the, the uh, on the CD or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are two different IPs involved. Everyday life has so many intellectual properties that's involved, right? You're listening to a song, you're talking, you're writing something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You want to buy Coca-Cola versus Pepsi or Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, right? So there is so much involved. So when you take the course, just be aware of that. That's all I tell students, and that's all that is required Mm -hmm. to understand the basics. The more you take interest in your everyday activities, the more you'll understand how much IP is involved, right? right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the more you understand that, the more you'll start thinking about the the class and the basics that are associated with it. And so uh, it's not difficult at all to get to do well in the survey. I honestly mean it. I mean, of course, as someone who's teaching it, it almost sounds lame for me to say it, but it really is not because it's an interesting course. Uh, it takes you into so many different areas. It's easy for you to come back and get interested in different areas. So mm-hmm. um, uh, making an A is like the 
It <laughs> but students do tend to do well in the survey, yeah, yeah. Uh, historically. Another class that I want to touch briefly on that you that you also teach, maybe not in the spring of, what is it, 17, I guess. Now, 17, right? yeah. So uh, in, in the fall of 17, you'll teach advanced patents, right? That's right. So, so what does that class entail? So this semester I'm teaching a course called um, Pharmaceuticals, Biotech, and Business. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's an example of advanced patents course. Okay. Uh, the reason we decided to change the name into advanced patents is because it allows me, I do research on several areas, it allows me to, to structure a course and uh, structure a course in different areas that are important. So for example, this semester I'm as, uh, you know, I have student, you're yeah. my student, and so you know, we do so much on the pharmaceuticals, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about pharma, um, you know, the trade rules, we talk about Medicare, we talk about uh, Hatch-Waxman, you know, so many different areas of pharmaceuticals. Uh, but we think, you know, maybe five years down the line, there may be something else that, that, you know, that becomes the current trend. And so then it'll allow us to bring in those things as well and then make it into a course. And the one thing I can say about my courses, um, I mean, my courses is that it'll always have a, a sort of a real life social perspective to it, yeah. right? And also a global perspective to it. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the two big things I always try to bring to class. There's a practical perspective, then there's the law that, you know, the procedure, the substantive aspect, and there is a social and a global perspective. How does it affect you? How does it affect people around you? How does it affect the rest of the world? And uh, and so that gives, I think, a fuller perspective to to the course. It does justice to the course and to to what we're you know mm -hmm. to the system as such. You know, when we talk about pharmaceuticals, there's always this question of why do we regulate pharmaceuticals, right? And mm -hmm. uh, what are the competing interests that yeah. revolve around it? So that's the that's the big difference you'll see in my course. Okay. Uh, so before we let you go, uh, I want to ask you if you have any final tips for our students. Final t uh, for how, career or? Just, just how, how do they look better to future employers? So that's um, something that can make them stand out. Sure. Um, the one thing uh, I think students do realize and should realize early on is uh, the importance of uh, there are some students who want to be on the policy side of things, mm -hmm. and then others who want to be on the you know, the litigation or the prosecution, if it's patents, uh, side of things, mm -hmm. right? Uh, knowing which side you're tending towards early on, right? Am I going to be a litigator or am I going to be a transactional attorney, right? What is it I really want to be? Uh, I think helps a lot. Yeah. And if there is one thing, if there is an across-the-board tip that I, I would like to give students, it is that you should try to practice at least for a few years mm -hmm. before you do uh, any sort of fancy things like uh, corporate or any of the other fancy. I mean, there are a ton of fancy things you can do, lobby group and politics and, you know, yeah. so, um, so many other things. But before you do any of that, you should absolutely go know the court system, know the procedures, and practice for a few years. Yeah. Uh, and that gives a perspective that nothing else does. And that's a very important perspective, both for your career and I think uh, for every lawyer's personality. Mm. So. That's it for this week's episode of Skilled in the Art. A very special thank you to Professor Sri for being on the show today. Thanks go out 
to IT at the law school, Braxton Bragg, Jonathan Minasana, Stuart Campbell, Alex Collins, and Vince Vela. Intro is a mashup of Supreme Court audio from OEA.org and music from Pease on SoundCloud. Saxophone is by our very own Matt Pellegrino. Send questions and comments to ipapodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks with Professor Sri for our Business Formal series. This has been an IPA studio production. I'm your host, Preston Morgan. Thanks for listening.